Welcome to The Savvy Founder, the one place for entrepreneurs and business owners, away from the everyday bustle, where we help you find your path to a profitable and bright future. Now here's your host, The Savvy Founder and armchair sociologist himself, Philip Topham. Hello, I'm Philip Topham, The Savvy Founder, and I am absolutely pleased to have Jamie Meyer here. Uh, Jamie and I connected through the traditional being open networkers on LinkedIn land. So welcome, Jamie. How are you doing today? Thanks so much for having me, Philip. I am amazing as always. Nice, nice. So when we chatted, uh, there was just a, a an entrepreneurial spirit in what you have been doing. And so why don't we... You know, my audience is typically, you know, high tech, high growth uh, founders. These are founders that are really wanting to uh, change the future, bring technology forward, chase the Silicon Valley dream, uh, you know, raise money, all that stuff. Uh, so before we get into, you know, why I brought you onto the show, even though that's the audience, why don't we get a sense of who you are and what you do? Uh, okay, well, that is like, I mean, that's a little bit like Shrek with layers and onions. <laughs> we, could, we could talk about that for, for a little while. But um, basically, what I like to enjoy in a short version is communication and synergy of people and organizations. So I like to make all the gears in a mechanism work very well oiled and connected. Uh, and I also like to work on how that communicates out to the public as well. So um, for me, that has probably been a journey within my career and my businesses and something that I've had to practice and get really good at uh, personally. I'm the kind of person that has so many thoughts um, in her brain and, and the process that goes on in my brain is not quite uh, tangible all the time. So uh, it's taken a lot of practice and a lot of uh, learning how to communicate and translate what goes on in my head to the rest of the world. <laughs> and sometimes I'm not always great at it. <laughs> We're life is a journey. We're always a work in progress. Absolutely. So you had shared that you, your accents from Australia and that you had left when you were 30 and never looked back. So that's a big step for some people. Explain to me what that means. You're a digital nomad in some regards, right? Yes, I didn't, at the time, I didn't realize that was actually a thing. I, you know, I knew that you could work remotely, um, but I didn't realize that you could be a digital nomad. And there's a huge community of people that are actually digital nomads, which has been very enlightening experience in itself. Um, but yes, so at 30, I went to the US for the first time. And at 31, I uh, relinquished my house in Australia. And um, at oh, nearly 32, I gave away all of my possessions to charity and friends in Australia. Um, and don't get me wrong, while this life is not for everybody, it is for me. But I do remember when I was giving everything away I got to my last box of shoes and I was standing in the storage shed and like put it, taking everything out to work out who I was going to give what and what I was going to donate and I had a small anxiety <laughs> about how I was giving away everything that I own um, and everything that I had you know accumulated 
over 30 years of working and um, kind of had a little bit of a meltdown and then realized that it really didn't serve me. It was a lot easier to change the world with two suitcases than it was with a storage shed full of things. So I gave away everything and now everything I own lives in two suitcases and comes with me wherever I go. Wonderful. And, and, and that's why I wanted you on the show is, is that, that entrepreneurial spirit, you know? So my question is, were you born with that entrepreneurial spirit? Was it a, was it a nugget that grew and you just had to itch, you know, or, or you, you developed it uh, over time, you know, were you born an entrepreneur, like a risk takers explorer? Help me understand that. I think the most interesting part of my answer to that question is that I, I believe that I was born with it. When I was five years old, my mom used to tell me that I terrified her because I would walk around the house, tell everybody how amazing I was and how I was going to change the world and I was going to fix all the problems. And um, then my life kind of took a little bit of a turn where I was environmentally conditioned out of that. You know, there wasn't, I didn't grow up in um, a time where being an entrepreneur was really um, a, a well-rounded career or path to take in any regard. So I didn't uh, initially start off as an entrepreneur. So for you listening and you heard a little weirdness going on in the audio, that's the price of digital nomad. We had to figure out and remove furniture and get the signal strength going. So Jamie, we were just living off. And when you said at five, you were running around telling people you were going to change the world and you were sort of born in that adventurous spirit. So you know, what, what does that, you know, entrepreneurial spirit mean for you? What, 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 what have you learned about entrepreneurship as you've gone around the world? I think the biggest thing that I've learned is um, that it is all about the individual. There is nothing that any one entrepreneur that I come across or any business owner that I work with that has one thing that works with for them that is multiplied by it's, you know, you sort of can't make a generalization about entrepreneurs because each of them has something that sparks them that is different. Each of them has an interest or a passion or a purpose or a cause that they're working towards that varies depending on who you speak to. I think the, and some of them are not, I mean, you automatically think that they were uh, innate risk takers, like that was born, that risk taking part was born in them. But I think some of them learn that. I think that's something that they learn. They kind of work out that what they want to create um, out overshadows what they're naturally inclined to do. And they kind of learn the ability to step into that, that space or surround themselves with people that will shove them off the cliff <laughs> when they don't want to do it themselves. So it's really hard um, to find one, one trait that runs amongst most of them. It's, it's probably more just a sense of understanding what they want to create is probably the underlying truth. And then being willing to do whatever it takes to get that. Yeah. So uh, re to recap the, you know, the, the people are at the center of everything, 
right? And what it is that floats their passions and moves them forward. Uh, with that said, you also said there's you find that the entrepreneur has something in them and eventually it has to bubble out and become something either by themselves or with help of others. So how does, you know, one of the things that entrepreneurs, um, especially first time entrepreneurs uh, that, that are younger in their life and haven't had a lot of journey yet. uh, And, uh, you know, when the first time they experience the imposter syndrome, right? And I, I, I can, the audience can't see you nodding, but you're nodding like, like you go, okay, he brought up the word imposter syndrome. And, and, and why don't you explain to the audience what the imposter syndrome is for those that might not have heard the term? And Imposter syndrome is essentially where you want to do something and you have the ability to do it, but your brain gets in the way and tells you that you're not really that thing or you don't really have that skill or you don't really have the, the capability or the possibility doesn't exist that you can go there. Now, for everybody, that presents differently. Some, it pre- presents in pre- sheer procrastination for a great deal of time. They might be completely well inept and capable of many things, but they will clean the floor a hundred times or answer a million emails before they do anything productive. Other people have an, it presents in fear so that they don't step into situations that are unknown to them or uncomfortable to them. Um, a, A lot of people will move forward. They'll take risks and get a no and then use that as an opportunity to divert because they didn't get a positive feedback or put positive answer from that endeavor. Uh, and then imposter syndrome comes in and says, okay, well, you know, we kind of told you that you weren't this person and you couldn't do this. So it, it puts you back in the box and you've got to kind of start, you've got to go back through that process of building up the courage to step out of your box again. Yeah. When, one of the places I see it raised, uh, I'm reminded of is at least in the high tech, high, high growth space, you know, that are, that are raising money, very few people are able to actually raise lots of money. And so they, they invest their all in their business and they get to an investor and the investor says, nah, I, I don't like your, you know, I'm not going to invest in your idea. And they, they start hearing those or, or they do get money and they, it, they find out their product isn't the right product for the marketplace. And they quote, don't return money to the investor, right? They fail. That's the hardest thing to recover from because, frankly, the investors uh, are are expecting to uh, invest in ten companies. Five or six of them are going to be, you know, lose money. Three, you know, well, three or four are going to lose money. Five or six are going to, you know, hold their own and return the returns. But one's going to make it all. Well, if you think about it from the entrepreneur's side, that means nine people were failures, right? And that's the conversation. So one of the things about this show and the, the, the journey is to remind people that it's, it's okay to try at be, and, and learn all those skills because the most successful entrepreneurs are the ones that have been keeping at it one step in the front and the forward. So what, what advice do you have for people that get into that situation where they finally go, the investor said no, or their company's tanking, or they're really struck in the wall. How do you get them to go forward and, and, you know, 
How do they communicate with the investors to tell them what's going on? I think the, the biggest thing in that instance to start with is we need to get a better attitude about things not working out. I mean, I fail, I do things, I make mistakes all the time. It happens. Right. It's natural progression of learning something new. So if you're not putting yourself in a position where you have the opportunity to fail, it doesn't mean enough to you because you have to try. You can't, like you, the worst thing that can happen is it doesn't work out and you start again. How to get from it doesn't work out to you start again. There's a lot of things that you have to realize, like particularly with investors. Um, investors are a little bit like people. You know, when you go somewhere and you meet a bunch of people, you don't always like all of them. There'll be one or two that you really enjoy and everybody else is not really your cup of tea. And investors are exactly the same. They may not be for you and or you might not be for them. That doesn't mean that your idea is bad or is flawed or it has potential to fail. It just means that you're talking to the wrong people. But when an investor turns you down, it's an important thing to go back and think to yourself, okay, so where can I you know, tweak this if I, if I feel like it needs to be tweaked? But if this particular person isn't interested in me, person, should I reassess the kind of people that I'm talking to and what I'm looking for? The other thing is when people turn you down, it's an opportunity to uh, learn something about what you're presenting or about yourself. So for me, you know, the, the biggest question that I always ask anybody if they're not happy with something that I do predominantly in my personal life is I want to know where I could have improved something there, what I could have done differently or better. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that all constructive criticism is good. <laughs> you have to take um, out of that what is in your best interest and work out what would work for you. You've got to, just like anything, you have to apply it to yourself in your situation rather than just taking it for exactly what it is. Because most people tend to give advice in their benefit rather than for yours. <laughs> so you have to learn to filter that. But there is, that is where some of your greatest things will come from. So if you don't get back up and try, you're going to miss the greatest opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, I, I certainly like that is that's a, a, a key philosophy, you know, get, you know, get up and put one step in, you know, one foot in front of the other, right? I, I, I give a shout out to uh, the Lion King and uh, the movie, <laughs> say, you know, just Akuma Matata, you know, put one step in front of the other and suddenly you're, you're realizing that you're far down the trail and, and moved forward. So I, I do like that. I mean, I love Akuna Matata is like my little mantra when I'm having, when I'm struggling <laughs> because everything is fine. We take things way too seriously. We believe that we need like this exceptional amount of money to do anything really well or to do anything great. And in some instances, there are, there are areas, particularly in tech that require that kind of money. But if we go from, you know, sort of starting up to, reaching for a, a huge investment when we can take some smaller steps and actually, you know, retest. You speak about, um, you know, letting investors down and they're not getting a return for their money. But investors don't have to be like this huge um, upfront investment cash flow projection just immediate. It can be a, a little bit more of a, a long-term relationship where we bring them on board in a smaller capacity and in those instances, we're looking for investors that are not just looking to create a portfolio. They're looking for 
meaningful investments. And that is where your ultimate um, relationship with an investor is cultivated because once you have that relationship, it becomes a partnership of value and what they can attain from your company and what they can bring to it and then vice versa, what you can give back to them through their investment. So then those relationships become a little bit more like a legacy relationship than just a quick flash in the pan kind of return for them because the, the with the quick flash in the pan investors, you're going to get you know, your immediate cash flow injection and then 12 to 18 months later, they're going to pull their investment and look into another portfolio. So, And that's just what those kind of investors do. They kind of just jump around from, from different areas and, and, and different investments based on the market or where things are changing or elevating or de-escalating. So, um, you know, a legacy investor is a, is a great way to actually start looking for investments on a smaller scale, which will kind of offset your imposter syndrome a little bit because you're not quite trying to go from, you know, point A to point F. Could you explain the term legacy investor? Uh, for me, that means that they stay with your company, you know, in the long term. So um, you, you kind of end up with, uh, you know, a team of investors or a handful of investors that are actually looking to stay with your company for a longer period of time. So they're not looking to jump in and out of your company, depending on the stock market value of other areas. They're actually looking to invest in you as a company, you as a person and your company and your idea. So from there, you can, there's actually a lot more room for growth in those instances because you, the more that they put into you and the more that you give out to them, the long, the better the relationship can make, the more it can expand and, and the different avenues it can take past just that initial um, one-stop shop kind of uh, investment. So, uh, you know, thinking about going to an investor and be like, okay, I just need this cash just to do this part, you know, this part of my business or this next step in my business. Think about, you know, approaching investors or, you know, a, a bigger vision than that. So who you can bring into your company now that will start achieving those first couple of steps. But long-term, you know, in five to six years' time, what your company would look like and, and how they would play a role in that. Yeah, certainly. There's, we, we've all seen the, you know, I just wrote a, a, a quick post on LinkedIn about a horror story and I won't, you know, won't, go in at all that details, but there's, there's lots of other, there's lots of investors out there, just as you described, uh, where they're totally focused on the financial projections. Uh, they're not capable of adding advice or providing, you know, uh, they're not even interested in the business. They're only interested in how, how big a check did you send me or, you know, how many customers you get, because I'm going to calculate your exit and how much money I'm going to make. Um, those are, very shallow investors, but sometimes a company might need that if if there is uh, in totally in a growth and they just want the money. But like you, I prefer to tell people to get an investor they uh, that's going to provide advice and help. So I want to ask a, a you know somebody that works with you know communications and and helping people communicate and such. One of the, what advice do you have, or are there any techniques when an investor, when a, I should say, in a founder is faced with a difficult situation, uh, they they just lost a customer, for example. I need to tell 
the investor or their software just had a major bug or a major security breach and they need to share bad news with the investor. What advice do you give that person? How do you do that? How do you give it bad, 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 you know, share bad information well? Nobody ever likes to have to do that in any regard. I mean, I can, from experience as a, as a boss, as an employee, as a, as a consultant, as a person, it, it's never great to have to have those conversations. I think one of the biggest things in business is, and something that we've really, really lost is the ability to actually be honest about those things. Um, I think that upfront, like upfront information, I have always believed that particularly with companies that I'm working with, if you come to me honestly and tell me how, like what's happened and, and, and how it's happened, then I'm far more receptive to, to be working through solutions than I am if you kind of try and, you know, pretty it up or put a bow on it or, um, you know, put, pull it, hide it under the rug somewhere. Um, I think that in those instances, honesty is always the absolute best policy. But I also believe that it's important to have some kind of idea or some kind of solution or avenue that you are willing to take. So instead of just, you know, sort of lumping bad news on somebody, I think it's always important to be like, okay, but we can do this better or we can take this avenue that we didn't consider or there's a bug in this software, but we have these other places that we can take the software to go this way or we we can fix it immediately with X or we can fix it long-term with Y. I think that it's important to always front up with you know, our, our flaws or our you know, misgivings or our failures and then work, work with a solution because a problem isn't there to ruin the rest of your life. A problem is there to teach you something and it's what you choose to make of that situation that will determine the outcome of the conversation with the investor or you know, another person or company that you're working with. So, you know, if you go to somebody with your head in your hand going, oh my goodness, this happened and we're, you know, ruined and all this, that's exactly the kind of response you're going to get from whoever you're speaking with. If you go to that person and be like, okay, this is a neutral fact, this did not work out, but we can do A, B, C and, and investigate these avenues as solutions, then you haven't already walked into the conversation with this disadvantage. Um, because you're not walking into it with a negative attitude. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, I, I absolutely agree. A problem is something to be learned from, and I I look at it in sort of two ways. Is one is the sort of the simplistic entrepreneurial. Uh, their job is to find a problem and deliver a solution to the marketplace. That's that's the whole purpose for building a business. But then these challenges, like let's just take the software bug that that takes the systems down and customers are unhappy. Uh, there's two things that I think they can learn from that. One is the the mechanics, you know, how to build a business better, the processes and all that, so that it doesn't happen again. But the deeper thing that you alluded to was this that person, your personal response to that. Is it an emotional? I'm going to hide from my responsibility to learn from how I feel about dealing with these challenges. Because the reality is companies will always be faced with unexpected challenges 
and how one rises up to the challenge is a measure of their leadership. And a new founder, those early problems, I'd look at them as early opportunities to develop a leadership skill and really learn how to deal with with smaller problems before your company's big and you're on the New York, you know, uh, Wall Street Journal front page is uh, being the next Theranos or something because you you got got out in front of yourself. So, yeah, I think that's priceless to to really think about problems in that way. And, and I hundred percent agree. I couldn't I couldn't agree more. The the thing is, any kind of business, no matter what industry you're in, your foundation is absolute key. So if you don't actually thank you know, when you're in that startup stage, you don't actually thank those experiences because they're going to show you the holes. They're going to show you the gaps. Like those gaps may not be there for the first two years. And then all of a sudden you are, you know, a world recognized company. And that gap then becomes humongous. And it can then become a chasm at that point that you can't actually get out of. Whereas if it happens earlier on, you have the opportunity to move. You're a lot more agile. Um, and you don't have to um, reestablish, you don't have to go backwards because you're already still in that foundation stage. So setting anything up um, and addressing or highlighting those kinds of things early on, is a, it's actually a blessing because if you didn't have them, if you didn't have those opportunities to, to learn those things and, and learn how to handle them, when you get a little bit bigger, then it becomes an even greater problem. Yeah, absolutely. That's it's it's kind of why investors, uh, very seasoned investors, will look at somebody that had a startup and they they didn't have an exit or they shut it down and they're doing it again. They don't. Uh, the, the seasoned investors will go. He's learned a lot. He's back at it. He's putting one foot or she is putting one foot in front of the other, building something, and they've learned a lot. So. I do agree that uh, the more you can learn from those problems and issues and learn how to communicate them, uh, not only communicate them, you know, is, ha- is more than half the battle. Solving them is one thing, but communicating that you were able to solve them and who, why, why they occurred and, and keeping the investors in, informed, keeping the employees informed, keeping your customers informed is a critical skill, communications ability. So absolutely. Uh, and too, that when you have, you know, whether it be a relationship with somebody that you're dealing with or whether it be your software or your business, is that sometimes when those problems occur, it's an opportunity to strengthen your relationship, strengthen your program, strengthen your business, make it better because you wouldn't, you'll go down avenues for solutions or you'll communicate in a way that you may not have beforehand. And in doing so, you explore or open up a whole other level of possibility. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, any time we can have those communications, authentic conversations, uh, vulnerable conversations with with the, well, as we said, with that investor who is um, an advisor. Those are those will really build your company well, and that's probably one of those things that we should probably round back to is when you're. Uh, an entrepreneur looking for your investor, you really should be looking whether or not they can communicate with you well 
and you're comfortable communicating well with them and open and honest, if there's hidden, always a hidden feeling or a hidden agenda from meetings, then you probably should run away. <laughs> yeah, not probably in your best interest to be in that situation. But those people do serve a purpose. And sometimes even those flash in the pan investors, you know, if, if a problem is handled well, um, even if they might not be interested in continuing or they're exiting from the current plan or current investment they are in, how you handle that will de determine the level of respect and understanding that they have of you for anything that you do in the future or for them, their portfolio in the future. Yeah. So um, we've talked about a lot of different things in, in entre from entrepreneurial spirit to the communications, uh, the imposter syndrome, all sorts of things. Is there any other advice that you would give the entrepreneurs, those, those folks that are really striving to bring tomorrow's future today? Oh, I mean, there's so many things. I think the biggest, the biggest thing would be to learn to celebrate everything. Learn to understand that everything on your journey is absolutely in your best interest. In saying that, recognize that everything in your journey is a lesson, whether it be high a success or something that doesn't equate to as much. All of those things make something amazing. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've thought to myself that what I do is impossible, what I'm going to do is impossible. But everything on my journey that's pushed me to those limits has opened up another understanding of the success that is available. And so I attain, I attribute my success to more of my messy bits than I do my successes. You know, like the fact that I have some kind of achievement is great, but I wouldn't have ever had that achievement had I not failed, had I not, you know, um, gotten out of my comfort zone, had I not been uncomfortable, had I not, you know, walked into something that I didn't understand or I didn't know how to do. Because if I hadn't done those things, I, my current position wouldn't be what it is. But if I, and I hadn't, and I, wouldn't have the same level of understanding of what is possible had I not. So my, one of my biggest things is to celebrate everything. You know, if, it, if it's what you consider a failure, celebrate it and ask for what the gift in it is. Ask for what you can do better or do different um, because that will probably be one of your most pivotal points in your journey. Those, those things that are messy that you don't account for, that you don't think are perfect. Those are where the nuggets that have been found. That's where the hidden treasure is in that minute of desperation <laughs> or near about to give up. Um, there's, I, there's a lot of different sayings in the world from philosophers and religious people all about like just before a miracle happens, everything seems dire. And it's the ability to recognize that that moment of sheer loss of not any kind of direction or knowing what to do that that minute of utter despair is like the second before everything becomes amazing and if you give up in that moment you're going to miss what's coming and being able to step out of that and say okay there is something here 
is the greatest thing that you can do. So I love that. Celebrate everything. And in the moment of despair, know that there's a brightness on the other side. Always. And life is the same. I would give you the same advice if this was a a personal conversation, Phil. There is, everything is for our greatest good, even if it doesn't always appear that way. Wonderful. So, Jamie, it's been a pleasure talking to you and, and sharing your insights into communications and the entrepreneurial spirit, et cetera. Uh, how does people, how do people get in contact with you? And uh, So they can, there's a myriad of ways being in this new, being a digital nomad in this new bright age of all the technologies. Uh, the best way is probably through uh, my website, which uh, is www.9carats. Yeah. Um, or direct via via phone, um, which in the US would be five three one two two five six nine six four. And I'll I'll, I'll have the website in the in the show notes, and I appreciate easy that. easy to easy for people to get access to it. So with that, I really appreciate you coming on the show today, Jamie. I hope you're. Uh, I should. I forgot to say. We, we, we forgot to mention, where in the world are you uh, at right now? So right now, I'm the Australian that just came from the U.S. that is now in Mexico. <laughs> yeah, we forgot to. So so if, for all those of you listening, you got the, the, the interesting part. This is in Mexico right now. So wonderful. With that, thanks again. I'm Philip Topham, the savvy founder. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, please share it with another founder so they too can shorten their journey. Wishing you a bright and profitable future in both your business and personal lives. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to subscribe and check out our website for tips, thesavvyfounder.com. You can also follow Philip on Clubhouse at The Savvy Founder. Wishing you a profitable and bright future. Safe journeys. See you next week.